hi and welcome back to Frivolous Gravitas, part two. We're discussing with Megan and Jordan the uh, developmental behaviors and uh, genetics of gender differentiation and cell recombination, or not cell, gene recombination and cellular division. Obviously, this stuff is way over my head, but thankfully we have a guest speaker here who can help elucidate all these complicated details for us. So to start off, I wanted to quickly just sort of extend to you the limits of my knowledge on the subject is based on a book I read when I was like 19. So to date myself, that was like 15 years ago. So forgive my memory being a little foggy and probably my science being outdated, but this is the best I got to so deal with it. <laughs> Essentially, the major thing I took away from that book was um, they had described that the eye actually develops differently between men and women, where the, the rods and cones are the cells that pick up photons. And um, the oversimplified version of this might be that women will tend to, probabilistically speaking, not definitively speaking, develop more um, color receptors in their eyes than the black and white receptors, which moderate or stimulate based on movement and action. And they sort of went on to extrapolate from that, that that's why boys are generally into cold colors like blues and blacks and reds and things that are active, like when they draw pictures as children, they'll draw rocket ships, whereas girls will draw like colorful expanse scenery. Um, just because the way their brains are stimulated visually directly affects how their expression of gender is articulated behaviorally. I was wondering if maybe you had any comments or a way to, something you can expand so on that. When you started, I was like, no, I've never heard that. But then as you continue talking, I realized that I actually did hear something, but like not from like class but from like outside of class um so then of course i can't say how true it is but i've just been like looking at a paper quickly but um yeah it does look like there are some differences um and once you started talking about like i definitely like only drew really colorful scenery when i was kid when i was a kid um so that's something that kind of happened and it would explain some of the women knowing color really well maybe <laughs> but um like there are a lot of like roles for men and women that are like seem to be pretty well conserved in different cultures like men doing the hunting in a hunting gatherer society like that tends to be pretty well conserved across cultures and humans uh, and women like doing more of the gathering duties and like child rearing and that sort of thing um so having a difference in vision where women are more focused on gathering, which gathering you would want more color differentiation. It's actually one of the reasons why humans can have like such good differentiation of different colors of green. The reason that we have that is so we can tell plants apart, like which ones are poisonous and not poisonous. And um, if they're ripe or not and that kind of thing, yeah. like how much sugar content they have. Yeah. Like, are they ready to be picked and that sort of thing? And that's kind of more like following in the more gatherer side and like the more hunter side. But like, even with that, it's like still a pretty subtle difference. So it's not like some like massive thing where men are just like red, blue, like they still have pretty good color differentiation. Like if you were to like, like work in like paint or something, you would probably have better, like be really good with differentiating, co differentiating color or like artists would probably still be better at it. Like a male artist would probably kick my butt at it because like that's what they work with all day. Whereas me, I just know that Zopclone tablets are blue. That's all I need to know. Um, so, Not aqua or turquoise. They are blue. <laughs> 
yeah well that's what people call them as in pharmacy you get to learn a lot of like i'm taking a round like blue tablet and you're like oh yeah i know what that is so (laughs) yeah um yeah like there are differences there are some like brain sex differences as well um I like women have denser gray matter, I think, than men there's do, There's right? something about amygdala activation and, like, emotional sensitivity or something. I can't remember exactly what the difference is. Um, honestly, when you start talking about, like, brain parts and, like, this part does this and these neurons do this, my eyes start to, like, get turned in circles a little bit. So I don't really want to talk on too much. <laughs> like, I don't feel comfortable talking about too much, like, specifics of brain anatomy. But well, I have to, heard that there are extent, some does sex extend differences. Into, oh, Sorry. Go, go, go ahead. It does extend into old age too. Like I think that's why um, men are more prone to heart disease, for instance, than women. And women tend to live longer, the, even though they live more stressful lives, generally speaking. One of the things with heart diseases is that estrogen is actually protective. So, um, so like women, like if women do have heart attack, like basically what happens is the like rate of heart attacks in men starts like climbing a little more steadily, and women it's like suppressed for a while and then after menopause hits it starts to climb at the same rate as men so but from a lower baseline though right yeah from a lower baseline because estrogen is protective and you have lots of estrogen in your body from like being most of your life like menstruating right and then once you go through menopause your the amount of estrogen in your body is like significantly lower um the other thing like there's hormone therapy as well where you like take in uh, estrogen and progesterone um which they use sometimes for menopausal symptoms and that is also somewhat protective but you have to like start it if you start too late it actually will cause heart attacks so it will destabilize you have to like make sure you start it at the right time um but yeah like it's definitely like estrogen is a factor in more heart attacks um i have also heard like some social related things like Sometimes men have like really stressful jobs, but like all of it's very much conjuncture. Like there's nothing with actual evidence in like the the only thing that we like actually know for sure is different is like the estrogen levels. So with that, it's kind of like saying that um, there is uh, there are the, the on the nurture side, there are environmental factors that also influence the growth of our organs, which influence our expression and behaviors, right? Absolutely. Yep. So this like even can go back to like diet and exercise and that sort of thing. Like if you like work a really busy job and you end up eating like fast food for lunch every day or something, like it's going to have an effect on your body a hundred percent. Like it's if, of course it matters and of course like what you're breathing in matters like places with more pollution have more asthma and like things like that like it and like when you're in utero you're like even more sensitive to different things that your mom's taking or exposing herself to and we don't really know a lot of the risks and they're hard to understand because again you can't do experiments on pregnant women you can't give a pregnant woman a drug and say like did it harm your baby like that's not a thing that we can do that's super messed up so um we end up doing it on observational research which sometimes has issues um even issues like women not wanting to say what they were doing during pregnancy or maybe what they were doing before they knew they were pregnant or whatever like sometimes there's some like what we call the social desirability bias but it's basically just trying to save face. So with that in mind, then, if someone were to go about trying to um, acclimatize an individual or a child to a certain toward a certain gender from their own 
imposing of their own bias towards their child's like gender identity, not their actual male female gender, like when it's nebulous or uncertain. Yeah. I'd say that the nurturing they do to convince a microphallic boy to be a girl actually does physically impose some type of female responses in their systems that are developing still like does it work to some degree there's there's like a difference between like using language and giving them only dolls to play with and doing that and then like straight up giving them like estrogen injections from a young age which again i don't think we've ever done that um and i don't think we should no but in keeping <laughs> and, with the but idea like the thing is is that like I did say that like bind that it's nature and nurture are are not separate. They're together. But like some things are more related to one than the other. Like something like um I can't think of a good example off the top of my head, like um high cholesterol in families. Like if you have the gene for that, you're gonna have high cholesterol. There's no like there's nothing you can do about it. If you live like the healthiest life you possibly can, you eat the best possible low cholesterol diet, you're still going to have high cholesterol. Like that's just 100% that's nature. But most things aren't like that. Most genetic things are not like that. They've got a bit of bit of both. And like I think what your gender the point that I we're even kind of dancing around here is that gender identity is like one of those things that still is has a pretty large biological component. But the biological component isn't always 100% male or 100% female, right? But it, for the most part, it's you. You can't, and that's what they found in all these like kids that they were doing these like ra- just raise them as a female. They were finding that like it didn't work. Like the kid would be like, "Yeah, I'm a man." Like I don't know why you did that. Now they like have to deal with the fact that they've been raised as a female, and that's like really fairly destructive to your psyche. So like. And I think one of the other issues, too, is that we're only, like, starting to see... Because, like, you you hear about a lot of kids that are being raised, like, completely gender neutral. And I don't think we really know yet what effects that has. Because a lot of those kids are still kids. And we're not going to know until they're, like, 40 years old or more. So... Kind of what the what's really going on and how that's really going to affect them. Part of me, like, in a lot of these complex things, and this is might go for a bit of a trip here but a lot of this is almost so complex you have to look for places of ancient wisdom i guess i hate to say it like that because wisdom is wisdom it doesn't matter when it's from but you get that idea of the Tao or the zen or in our society go with the flow and when you're trying to do something or be something that you're not your life just kind of rebels against you. Um, And I feel like a lot of this is happening for people and whether or not, and they're not doing each other and their parents aren't doing them any favors. So yes, maybe like in certain circumstances, you may not know which one, which is the Zen that your child should uh, or the path that your child should follow, but you can, that's why you do that. Um, that uh delayed treatment and you know wait and see kind of stuff make the best guess but at the same time um if you are forcing someone to go against it you're creating problems for them like 
you get that cognitive dissonance is I'm being told this, but it doesn't feel like it's right. So, or you just end up going with the flow anyways, because it's just like, this is what I'm going to do. You know, get a forceful child who's just been like, yeah, but I don't care. So I'm going to go play with my trucks. Um, And and, and I think the, the other problem is, too, is you never know what's going to work until the child grows up. Like, it might actually right. work really well on one kid, like, just being said, just, like, forcing them into one role. Because maybe they'll be like, yep, that's correct. Or maybe they'll be like, yep, you forced me into that, and it was definitely then, wrong. So now I'm switching, and I'm happy. Like, well, we don't, easy, we can't like, predict what happens it. Is, what happens if you say, oh, well, I'm being told I, like, I'm born a boy, I'm being told I'm gender fluid or gender is stupid so like i'm being raised as a boy and a girl or neither and so the kid's miserable and then they're like well why am i miserable and it's like because of the external forces that are upon you the world doesn't understand you there's all these externalized uh things there's like infinite parenting styles and some of them work better with better with some kids like some kids need structure i needed structure i still need structure if i don't have structure i just like sit and stare off into a wall and just i'm like my brain melts and all my ears like i need something something planned to do otherwise i don't do anything and like so if i was raised by like a really laissez-faire kind of parenting method i wouldn't be very successful yeah, so, but, but then it's the same fair, thing. Good. There's laissez-faire. Yeah, I like, know, but like we're getting fair, like, where they a little say, off topic. But. Do it. And then there's laissez-faire, which is like, I'm just going to let them be free and do whatever they want. Which I'm is talking like, like romantic levels, like, oh, like, like capital Neo R romantic. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Like Rousseau. That's what I'm talking about. Like if I was raised like that, I'd be, I would be completely useless. Like see, I needed me, that would have been totally easy. Cause like yeah. my parents' parenting style was, they tried to be strict, but when I rebelled, it just made everybody's life miserable. And when they let me, left me be alone, I was just insanely productive. So like, yeah. I think you're bang on there about it being parenting for the child. Just, it's totally and, relative to who that person is. And I think even pushing the, even pushing like gender norms and stereotypes in is still something that's like, it's still going to fall under that. Like some kids just won't care. They'll be like, nope, I want to hit things with my sword and I want to draw rockets and I want to like play with cars and these dolls are silly and I don't want dresses. Go away. Like some kids yeah, are going to be like that. What's the point in dressing and something there's... up just to undress it and dress it up again? Like I, I have no it's idea fun, how Chris. For fun. <laughs> I just want to break everything I touch to see what's inside. <laughs> See, I was always an explorer. I would always be like, what's over there? What's over there? I'm going to climb up to that thing. I'm going to see this. And like someone restraining me would have gotten higher. Hey. Yes. That <laughs> hasn't changed. Tough, alto shack. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I was always off into the sunset. Um, and it's like, no, you're grounded. And I was like, okay, let's see how long that lasts. Uh <laughs> Yeah. So did you but guys you... want me to do like a quick little like go over oh, yeah, some of please. the biology I talked in the first half? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm going to start even small. Last time I started with DNA, I'm going to start even smaller this time. Start at so, quarks. Start at quarks. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, charm quarks are my favorite. Um, Strange for... quarks are my favorite. <laughs> yeah, they would be. Um, <laughs> um, no, I'll just start at atoms. Just this 
Okay, you st- the word means that you can't divide it because like the idea is that if you have like a piece of cheese, you could cut it in half and you could cut it in half again and eventually you wouldn't be able to cut it in half anymore. But if you don't think you can cut an, up, uh, cut an atom in half, look up the Manhattan Project. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, atoms form molecules together and molecules can form more complex things, but it, it takes work to make them be, com- be, be complex and energy work in work is energy um and dna is a molecule it is a very very big molecule and it has repeating subunits there's four different types atcg um and basically the order of them specifies a blueprint and each and the, the blueprint is telling you when to make proteins how to make proteins and like what and like the code for the protein and like has like sequences to regulate when it's made oh slow down slow down hold on sorry those uh-huh. actgs those are amino acids right no they're, they are nucleotides they're nucleotides What's so the they're made up of an amino acid and a nucleotide so a nucleotide is made up of a sugar which is in dna it's deoxyribose it's a five ring sugar there is a phosphate group on it which is phosphorus with oxygens around it. And then there is the nu- the like actual nucleoside. It's called, oh, I think I'm mixing it up. The, um, and that's the A, T, C, and G. And they're just four different molecules. Um, two of them are one ring, two of them are two ringed. And basically they form complementary bonds so that your DNA has like, they, it runs like in opposite anti-parallel directions, but they like have, compl- like A's always bind with T's and C's always bind with G's. So, so you, it's quaternary, right? It's not it's not you, actually a four to the power of four. It's like a two to the power of two. No, not really, because like having a T on the other side, it's going to be like also a T, but they're running opposite. But it's the same like you can one of the sides is going to actually be the code for the protein and the other one's going to be like just the thing that's complementary to the protein. But the point is the reason it's like that is so you can like rip it apart and then use it to duplicate and make two of them i gotcha so that's because you need to be able to replicate it otherwise it doesn't work so DNA, how many possible combinations are there of the four uh, nucleotides AC. well you ha- you have like it's just like the you you have like atcg just in whatever order and then you can just kind of ignore the other side because it's just complementary in there to uh like so it could be, just be there for replicating ACTG. Oh no, they they just they can be like any order There's of no them. Restrictions it can be like A A A A A T G A T like anything. There's just four types. I gotcha. So and it can be in any order, any. And there's like long regions that are just repeats. Um and yeah, so that's why it gets very complicated very quickly because it's got it can hold a lot more data than like binary because you're you have four choices rather than on or off right yeah that's sort so, of what i was asking about with the powers like how the how yeah the- there's four choices not two so you can hold more data in smaller areas so it is four to the power of four right that's the number of combinations in one segment of dna i suppose <laughs> yeah. like they can all of them can be recombined with each other in their own well, they can all like because if you if the other half is just like comp, it's just the opposite, and it's just there to replicate. Yeah, it can be like any order of the four. So A A A A. Yeah. C C C C A A C C A A A C like that. It just it keeps can be going, anything, right? and it just it goes on for like millions and millions of base pairs. 
I think that's four to the power of four, though. I'm going to look that up. Though. 256 okay. sure. times a billion. Uh, it's there's lots. It's complicated. Um, but basically, your your DNA like tells you where how to make the proteins. It's got like a specific code, um, like and they're like groups of three. So like, um, oh great, there's like a silly thing where RNA has U's instead of T's. It's not really that important. But if you have like UAA, that's a stop codon. I haven't memorized any other ones. So, but if you have like like CGG, that means like tryptophan or something. I don't actually know what it means. I just made that up. That's probably wrong. But um, each like group of three specifies one specific amino acid. So like it directly tells you how to make the protein. Um, and the proteins do all the stuff in your cells. So they like can do the reactions, catalyze the reactions like we talked about with the um, uh, CAH. So it can like catalyze the reactions to make your steroid hormones. Um, it can just form the structure. So that's just like your, like basically your cells have like, have like two like microtubules, which are just like form structure. They're like a little skeleton for it. They can transport, bring stuff around in the cell. They can be involved in signaling and hormones. Um, Is there periodicity to all of this too? Like the repetition and the frequency of repetition that affects how the gene is expressed or is it strictly just code and then? It's so there is like a whole system of epigenetics, which just means above genetics and it's involved in gene regulation. So you actually have tags on the genes that either tell it to like not to condense and make less or or like expand or because like your dna when it's gathered it's not normally sitting in a chromosome it's usually all unwound bunch of spaghetti just like everywhere um it is actually not everywhere it's very specifically placed but um that gets more complicated but when you're when it's dividing it like forms like a big like a chromosome so it doesn't like break apart randomly so you can you there's like codes that make it more condensed so that it can't the gene can't be expressed and that's what your like epigenetics is, is that's like that regulation. So it involves modifications to the DNA itself, but also the proteins that B DNA binds to, <laughs> to like keep it stable. But that is like a whole complex other thing. Cause that's affected by like your environment that's affected by like, there's like sex differences. There are like lots of different little things. Like you have like some genes that you only express the one you got from your mom, not the one you got from your dad. Um, there's differences in DNA methylation and things like autism. Um, and yeah, it gets very complicated very quickly. Like demyelination too, like with uh, demyelination MS is like a is like a whole like order of magnitude above this. It's like your neurons have like these so myelin the sheaths that the entire thing. it's the sheathing around like the whole like part long part of the neuron okay. and basically in ms your body attacks it so most of the ms drugs are focused on like turning down that part of your immune system or like preventing your immune system from getting into your brain um and they're all incredibly expensive <laughs> all of those drugs yeah so um and does this process also apply to mitochondrial dna equally or is that so because it's like bacterial it's technically bacterial dna um i guess we probably so your the, the story with your mitochondria is that back like billions of years ago um a bacteria ate another bacteria this probably happened several times and was like 
and the other bacteria started making energy for it, but staying alive. And they were like, hey, this relationship is working great. So that kept going. And that's kind of what makes up all the what we call eukaryotic cells now, which is all of your cells, um, basically everything that's not bacteria or the other type of weird bacteria that are weird. They're archaea. They just are weird bacteria that live in like deep sea vents and stuff. And um, they all have sperm then transferring that type of DNA too, like within. So that's a good question, actually, because um, generally all your mitochondrial DNA comes from your mom. Every once in a while, you can get a little bit of your dad's in there, but for the most part, it comes from your mom. So there are some mitochondrial diseases where like your mitochondria have like something wrong with them. And what that means is it affects your ability to make energy. So most of the time, these are like diseases with like your muscles aren't working. There's like some sort of fatigue. There's some sort of like energy issue with those diseases and they're maternally inherited. What happens if you have two dads? (laughs) And you have to go to your biological mom or we invented some new cool science that I'm really excited about. There, there is like science about like, can we try to make a child out of like two eggs by like combining their DNA? There's a lot of kinks in it, but there is some really interesting science about that. I imagine that would be a little kinky. Yeah. I know Jordan's make, trying to make a joke out of it and I just turned it into science, but that's what I do. <laughs> well, I kinda, oh, no, takes it, was, it was intentional because like we're talking about all this stuff and have claiming that, you know, two men can can create a baby just as well as like a woman and a man or a woman and a woman is ludicrous. And like, I'm saying it as a joke, but what you're saying is like, as you're saying this, me saying that is absolutely ridiculous. Like it's not impossible for it to occur. It's going to be very difficult. And I don't foresee it occurring for like many, 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 many years, but it's not impossible that we could like get DNA from two sperms and then basically put them in an egg and maybe we could like incubate the egg ourselves. Maybe we have to like stick it right. in a but woman that will a, carry it. But it like, it's not arti- impossible. Yeah, but it would be an artificial process, one that won't happen naturally, uh, yeah, without sure. human intervention and technology, and that mm-hmm. no amount of redefinition of technology would, or no redefinition of how we view the world, or you know, creating uh, better realities based on pronoun use or something would change that yeah i mean like at the same time you could get like a person that was born female that identifies as a male like have a baby with someone who was born male identified with a male like that's technically that but like at the same time like it's not two biological males like there is still like somewhat of a distinction <laughs> but um okay so going back to your your scaling out we've yeah. got yeah, so I was just talking about like the DNA has a code for proteins, also when to make the proteins and how much of the protein to make. Um, and then your proteins do everything. Remember, I talked about how your DNA can't leave your nucleus, so you have to have a messenger like be copied. And then it also gets spliced, which I didn't talk about before. So your DNA is like just absolutely filled to the brim with random sequences, some of which we know are for regulation, some of which we know are just like artifacts, some of which we're just like, yeah, I don't know what this is doing here. So, (laughs) And some um, are maybe filler because like a response might be to the size of a gene. So they just need to fill up that gene. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's also just like bits of DNA that are just like basically jumping. They're just genes that just like want to fill up your DNA. So they just like jump around and just keep filling it up, which 
it happens through weird stuff but um yeah so you make your you have to splice out all the bits that you don't want um and sometimes the if you like have mutations that like changes the splicing that you can also have like that can also lead to genetic disease um Spinal muscular atrophy is like that, but that one's really complicated, so I don't talk about it too much. Um, Spina bifida is like that, isn't it? I don't. Where it's like the whole gene is sheared off to one side, so everything's just misaligned. I could be wrong on that. Maybe there, there's a, there's like a few that are related to splicing, but like I'm, I can't like say them all off the top of my head. And like a lot of diseases that are just like it's a mutation in this gene, it's actually like a, a splicing problem. Oh uh, yeah. So it, anyway, but you uh, once that process happens, the mRNA gets processed, so it doesn't look like viral mRNA, and then you uh, that goes out into the rest of the cell, and the cell has ribosomes which translate it, turn it into or not turn it, but translate it, and then make a protein based on the code, and then part of the code of the protein also is things like involves some of the processing because some proteins aren't just ready to go as soon as they're the amino acid chain is filled up like some need like some sugars tacked on some need like some lipids tacked on some need to be like changed so they fold properly so there's sometimes some other need, processing is there some part of the cell that's like checking on everything like the, it, uh, it goes through overseer? like your like you have like a golgi apparatus which like works on packaging and like moving stuff around and like honestly the more you look the more I look into protein processing, the more confused I get. It's one of those like things that gets a little nuts. But um, you do have codes for it to go like because like some proteins are made to like sit on a membrane, so they have to be made on a membrane, otherwise they'll fold wrong and be messed up. So they are actually created such that they are like created inside a membrane inside your cell, and then from there are transported to where they need to go, whether if that's like out like on the outer membrane of the cell or whatever. So that um, membrane would also be defined by the genetic code that it's writing, right? Sort of, yeah. It's because, like, like, you kind of... Where's, where's the protocol or the instruction set for the operations for the genetic recombiners? The thing is, is that the cells are weird because there's nobody in charge. There isn't anything in charge. There isn't, like, a cell guy being like, okay, hey, do this now, do this now. It's just a bunch of code that well, like, no it's very janky. It's some very janky code. No, there is not like priority. You you can have like way more copies of one mRNA type than the other. So more will get made at once, but it's not like it gets to like boot itself in line. Cause like things are just moving around randomly, right? Um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's just like the jankiest algorithm you can imagine. And that's a cell. Um, <laughs> from order and structure and reducibility, we come down to chaos and complexity once again. From the yes, pretty much. You go through like you, yeah, you go from like I have no idea, it's utter chaos to like oh, it's structured, and then you go down further, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That fascinates me about nature, as it seems. Yeah, to it's really way. really cool. You just have all these molecules, and they're just like, why does this work? But it just it just works. Um, that's all I got for you. Um, so I talked about like chromosomes as well. We have 23 pairs, so 46 altogether. Um, uh, Do you want to maybe mention how like CRISPR and what it is and how it works and what okay. people are doing? We can with talk it. a little bit about CRISPR. So um, when I was like doing my genetics degree, this was like super hype and new. 
Um, everyone was really excited about it. It's still pretty hype, though. But um, basically, the CRISPR-Cas9 system is a bacterial system that was used to try to remember viral DNA so that if that bacteria ran into that viral DNA again, it would know it was bad and chop it up. So that was the thing. So what the, what the system would do is it would be like, see DNA that's not itself, that's wrong, it's viral DNA, and it would take a chunk of it and then incorporate it into its own cell, into its own genome. So now the genome is just like, has chunks of viral DNA. It can't like express or anything. It's not a full gene. It's just like a random chunk of their DNA. But because DNA is like, there's four of them. And even if you get like a short sequence, it's still pretty unique to that virus, right? So then what would happen is there would be proteins that would wander around with those sequences in them. And then if they found the complementary sequence, which would be the virus, it'd be like, oh, heck no, I got to cut this guy up. So then it would just cut it. So we learned how to hijack it so we can put whatever sequence we want into the protein, the Cas9 protein. And then when it runs into that specific sequence, it just chops it up. And Word for word, it's just sort of like following one for the yeah. other, right? looking for an exact sequence so you can put something in there like say you have a cancer and you have uh what's called an oncogene in it so what an oncogene does is once it's is basically it promotes cell growth but in a way that's like unregulated and damaging to the system around it so say you have an oncogene you can like find the exact mutation you have stick it in there and then the protein if it can get into your cell which is another huge problem um, if you can get into there and find that gene, it'll just chop it up. And then that gene in that cell will not exist anymore. So that's one thing. It also could be used for like, this is being looked at for like genetic diseases, like more rare genetic diseases. Um, so to like, if you've got like some sort of defective gene, that's like causing blindness or something that might be able to like inject it somehow or get it into your system somehow that... As a well, post-mortem treatment or preventative, like before the fetus? It is would be, I think, hmm, you know what? I don't, I can't really imagine that they would do it before birth. Because if you try to stick a needle into like any of the sacs, there's a chance that it can cause spontaneous abortion. So um, even like getting um, amnio to like test the baby's DNA has a like one in 200 risk of causing an abortion. So that's... I feel like it'd probably be something that would happen after birth. Um, if the kid's smaller, then there's less cells to change. So maybe that True, would be yeah. better. <laughs> but, there's more stem um, cells still. But then the other problem is you don't have, your system doesn't work the same way. So, and all like all things that needs to be tested in a certain population. And then if they test it in only six-year-olds, then you can only use it in six-year-olds. Like you kind of... <laughs> They wouldn't do that, but that's just an example. It sounds like the implementation of it, though, like over time, if we think about like we've only had this type of sciences for like a few decades, relatively speaking, mm. it's a drop in the bucket. If humans persist for like another 200,000 years, we'll have yeah. enough of these small little samples to do something with it. Like ethically, well, it's or? it's not like the it's not like finding the samples of what to correct. That's not the problem. It's like making something that works. That's the problem. Like. We've done gene therapy before. There's like a really famous case of a gentleman in the 90s who had, um, I can't remember the genetic disease, but they were using adenovirus to deliver a gene vector. And it was like helping with his disease process, but he ended up having like a very severe immune reaction and ended up passing away from it. So it kind of scared everyone off of gene therapy. So 
Um, but like we've been getting a lot better and even like the uh, coronavirus vaccine that's coming out now, I don't know when this video is going to be uploaded, but like the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines have been approved here. So um, they're both mRNA vaccines. And so it's kind of like gene therapy a little bit, but it's basically just because we talked about mRNA, messenger RNA. So they make it look like normal human messenger RNA. So it has the cap on it and the sequences of A's at the end and all that stuff. And it was as soon as the coronavirus was sequenced like a year ago, we you we could make we could make that virus, but it was about making a vector that like and I think they made the vector pretty quickly as well, which is it's been a lipid ball essentially. Um, and it's like so that because if you didn't move it around, right? well, if you didn't put it in the lipid ball, then you would inject it and your body would just immediately destroy the the mRNA and it would be useless. So you need it to be delivered into the cells. So that's why it's in there. And then um, the the thing that took so long was making it work, making um, getting evidence that it works and getting evidence that it's not going to like cause anaphylaxis immediately and kill everyone that uses it or give them all coronavirus. Like, yeah. well, we knew it wouldn't be that because it's a spike protein. Like, it's basically all it's doing is say like, hey, if a guy in like a purple T-shirt walks in, he's a bad guy. So that's kind of what the vaccine does is you're looking for the purple T-shirt guy, which is coronavirus. Um, don't know why you would wear a purple T-shirt. Molecular profiling. It is molecular <laughs> profiling. That's discrimination there, Megan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you should be ashamed. Yeah, I am so Also ashamed. for mentioning the uh, uh, that virus, uh, even if we do end up being able to monetize, we won't be able to now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's good. We don't want to be monetized because oh, okay. we'd, we'd be beholden to our sponsors and the algorithm. Gross. It's better to be unknown. Okay. COVID-19. <laughs> China, war, genocide, COVID. Now we're covered. Uh, concentration camps with Muslims. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Falun Gong. So if oh, I could ask Tiananmen you Square. Yes, <laughs> there it Tiananmen, is. That'll get us banned, at least there from it China. Is. <laughs> okay, what uh, we with saying, respect to um to gene editing, then moving away from CRISPR where we can sort of we can chop, delete, or insert different genetic code. What about mm-hmm. drugs that affect us? DMARDs, I think they're called. Disease are, modifying. D- yeah, those are like that word is like I've only heard it like specifically related to uh rheumatoid arthritis. And all that that means is that it's making it so that disease doesn't progress. Because, like, rheumatoid That's arthritis... That's the wrong word, then. I was like... Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Um, but anyway, they, they just prevent... Because, like, if you think of, like, the traditional, like, really terrible arthritis, where, like, the, like, it looks incredibly painful and all your fingers are, like, leaning towards the outside and, like, it's very awful. Um, we have drugs now that can prevent that. Um, or at least make it happen very, very, very slowly. Um, what about drugs that affect genetic code? Yeah, so there are like some, a couple, like they're all like a million dollars right now. And most of them aren't like permanently affecting genetic code. Are those so, like AIDS and HIV drugs? Like what kind of class? Okay, so those ones are like the, they aren't, they're like interacting with DNA, but they're not necessarily like modifying your DNA. Um, they're just like preventing the vaccine from replicating. So like the antivirals have like lots of different targets. Um, they target several different viral proteins um, and they just prevent it from replicating. 
In what way? Do you know? Like the mechanism of action? You know what? Um, maybe if you asked me a few years ago, um, I haven't like actually <laughs> formally gone over it yet, but it's, oh, no I know that they do affect revert. Some of them revert, affect the reverse transcriptase, which is, um, it basically turns RNA into DNA, which before we discovered this, we didn't know that that could happen. We thought that you could only go DNA to RNA and then RNA gets translated into protein. And then we found this reverse transcriptase and it blew everybody's minds. And all the scientists were like, oh no, this couldn't possibly be what actually happens because sometimes scientists get too stuck in their ways, which is sometimes good because you should be skeptical. But also sometimes you show them evidence and they're like, nope, the way I learned was right. So, you know, their people <laughs> would that count as a transcription factor then no if it's a, a because it's actually a rule of changing dna no if it transcription factors have to change the way that it's being expressed as proteins and the other problem is like it's really hard to get proteins like protein drugs to have like into cells it's not always easy why is that um, cell membranes. So some proteins don't just like cross into cells. Some they have to be like transported in. Is that like the role of enzymes and stuff, or it's like how, membrane, how do membrane transfer? Like some of the small proteins can just jump in, um, but some just get stuck on the outside. <laughs> how generally does that work, though? Like, well, it's like the the like you have to put the mRNA in a lipid particle. Like sometimes you'd have to put it in a lipid particle to get it in. Uh, but like different proteins are different and like drugs too like usually drugs are small molecules which is why they can get into cell membranes but like they have to be like they have to it depends on like their solubility in water and oil as well like there's a lot of factors into getting drugs into where they need to go that's like a huge part of drug development are you familiar with any of the nanotechnologies that work on like transport nanotech to yeah there, there are some out there there's a couple cancer drugs actually that are that are being used now um and they're basically targeted to because they, they put like really toxic like extra like some like chemo drugs which are if you give them through your whole body then you get a lot and you're like losing hair you're getting mouth ulcers and like hand and foot syndrome and all these terrible things Fun that stuff, can happen yeah, yeah. and um what this what they they're trying to do is they're trying to make it so it only you can deliver the cytotoxic drugs directly to the cancer cells and it like kind of works. It's not like as spectacular as people were hoping, but it definitely like helps with some of the side effects, but then you get some different side effects sometimes. So it's um, you get like this hand and foot syndrome that can be caused where you get like, it it gets like bright red on your, um, your like palms, your hands, soles of your feet. And it can like start peeling and get inflamed and get like really, really bad um, from like the lipid. It's basically the lipid particles go to their, they go to their, they go to the wrong spot, basically. Um, so. So does that affect at all like the, um, the concentrations of say like microplastics or metals or anything like that are being transported through our lymph system or, or so our circulatory I, system? Does that I, affect how genes can really speak to that very much haven't really like done research on it um i expect that some things but like again actually affecting like the process of getting genes and like changing transcription and that sort of thing is probably not the main mechanism it has for like causing damage like metals might lead to oxidation oxidative damage puts extra stress on the cells and then it can't that can be what causes them to like die 
So it's probably not related to like the actual genetics part of it, but like other damages that. But like conditions like Alzheimer's, then they're they're pretty genetic related, right? There are. Yeah. So that one, it has like relationships to like there's cell internal parts and then there's like this big, huge protein that it's on the outside of like neurons all the time. And it's um, it's sometimes like a receptacle for holding amino acids because some stuff doesn't get into your brain very well. So it's kind of a receptacle for it. And usually it just gets chopped up as you need it. But in Alzheimer's, it gets chopped up in the wrong spot. And then it's not soluble anymore. So it clumps together and forms these beta amyloid plaques, which is very distinctive. In, and that's um, what the drugs sort of tend to? is The, the, the drugs plaque? for Alzheimer's don't really work that well. They um, change some cell signaling um they kind of help stabilize you for a little while if you have moderate disease but then eventually they stop working so there there's only like three that are used here for alzheimer's and they're like they can make a difference but like not a huge one big enough difference to be sold and approved for dementia for like helping with symptoms but not a huge difference really i gotcha Mm -hmm. What about the role of uh, enzymes in development and like cellular reproduction and splitting and things like that? Is there something you might be able to tell us about uh, how different enzymes encourage or hormones encourage um, cell growth or so, like genetic like, division? Well, or? cell growth is like most of what we know from cell growth is from cancer. Uh, <laughs> Because the, the best way to study something in, in development in biology is to study when it goes wrong and see what went wrong. And then you know that that's the thing that's wrong is what usually makes it go right. right that's right. like that's like the main technique of developmental bio, biology. So many like chickens and frogs have been like made to have like one dis- one gene be wrong to see how it develops. But um, yeah, the there's like a lot of processes involved in there's a few processes involved in uh cell division and cell growth and you get like hormones from like all circulating throughout your body but then it's a little bit different for different cell types like prostate cancers are almost entirely fueled by testosterone so um and like breast cancers can be fueled by like estrogen progesterone some cancers are like you have like human growth hormones which are like normal for them to be floating around but then they become have like super sensitive receptors that if they catch one of them then they just like completely go into dividing mode um then there's and like cortisol can affect all that too right like if you've got high levels of cortisol from cortisol like anxiety, can, stress or chronic pain or something that can yeah change it can you... affect a lot of things um it's cortisol deals a lot with inflammation too um so that's why like a lot of chronic inflammatory diseases are related to stress levels as well and are more likely to flare when you are like going through st- stressful situations um Cause like, it's all, it's everything that is related. And that's like one, another point that kind of is clear in medical science is that if you have two diseases, they're related to each other. It doesn't matter if it's like, they don't seem like they're related at all. They are, cause they're both occurring in the same individual. So they're, everything's related and you always have to treat them as a person with like several things. As a person with chronic health conditions, I can absolutely attest to that veracity. <laughs> yes, you can't. Like, if you someone's got one disease and someone's got four, you cannot treat them the same at all. But, I mean, it's useful information to compare the two, but they're not absolutely identical. And a lot of the times yeah. I think we overlook the fact that 
a useful probability of mm-hmm. uh, correlation does not equate to it, exact. It can be an issue sometimes because um, medicine like gets specialized and you get like specialists writing guidelines and being like, if they have diabetes, you need to do this, this and this. It's like, well, what if they also have like MS and like schizophrenia and just like a, diabetes a and colitis <laughs> and colitis and like all these like things like you can't just like there are things that you like it gets complicated and then you get specialists having fights at guideline discussions and that sounds kind of funny but well, uh, <laughs> the other big problem i found with it is they don't communicate with each other so they don't yes. talk about the gray overlaps in their venn diagrams they just accept the fact that there's another specialist dealing with that other issue they accept yeah. the fact that they're interrelated but they refuse yeah. to, to work together. For that's some why it's reason. good to have a common pharmacist. <laughs> yeah, that's what the pharmacists basically do now. And I think that's yeah. putting a lot of weight on them. Like they shouldn't be our first line of defense. But is there a way you think doctors could communicate better between specialists and physicians? Or they they learn the how pharmacist? to communicate? No, um, the, um, <laughs> that would be I actually think that one of the... Well, they and- could learn how to write first. Legible writing would be helpful. Uh, yes. Um, the, one of the, actually we, there's like some point about going towards this of like having medical like information be like more so that everyone can see it rather than like each doctor having their own file on somebody and then never talking to each other. And there's also like a movement towards having like interdisciplinary teams working on people. Um, that's a good idea. And like, we're being taught a lot about like communicating as much as we can and like maybe they're on an anticoagulant and they have an anticoagulant team but now they have like something else going on so now or they're like they get colitis and now they're bleeding so maybe they shouldn't be anticoagulated but what about the heart valve they just got so like it becomes complicated and um i think there there's definitely a movement in medicine to be like communicating more but um it's moving slowly I think that's where the Chinese and like tyrannical governments basically have the advantage over democracies because they're they're able to implement these broad sweeping changes to the system and carry everyone's individual data at the cost of privacy and, you know, ethics and whatnot. (laughs) The cost of ethics and happiness. Well, it is truly that the cost of ethics, but like the government Mm -hmm. in China has the tools to do things that we have to just sit and say, oh, well, we can't do it. So yeah, somebody's going to learn it before. The thing us, is, right? is that in our society, if we screw up, we can go and start again. When you move an entire society in one direction and they screw up, the chances that it's going to affect the entire society poorly is more likely. Like if it's one company within a country trying something, yes, it might happen. It might happen slower, but that company dies instead of the country dying when, you know, that uh, company fails. Um, so rather than part of the country failing. So in the more resources you put into it, the more that society is dependent on that one thing succeeding. And it's based on false premises, like say certain um, German processes in the early 20th century, then you, when those fail, the they have to keep going down that faulty path and you end up with you know a bad end so i i i i understand that if we all just you know force people to go in one direction that you know we can get stuff done faster but if we're wrong then everyone's gonna hurt instead of just you know one corporation uh 
So that's actually my major trepidation with the rollout of this antivirus, the the COVID vaccine. It's not so much that I think it's harmful, but even a fraction of 1% of the world's population, if our goal is to inoculate the entire world, that's a lot of people. (laughs) And to not have long term data while you're injecting it. It's a little bit scary. Yeah. But like even there there was a. It's like the Zika virus, right? We didn't know that the Zika virus was causing microcephaly until after babies were born. That's a thing yeah. you can't possibly know for nine months. And then even then, it took us a few months to to figure out the connection. Well, right? even like think of how many people had like thalidomide. I knew I wasn't going to get through this podcast without bringing up thalidomide. Um, <laughs> you just can't work in pharmacy and not bring up thalidomide. So um, for those of you that don't know, thalidomide was a drug used in the 50s and 60s to... Uh, help with morning sickness for pregnant women. However, it uh, caused like some pretty severe birth deformities, like limb deformities mostly, um, along with other health problems. And it was a big sign of like, oops, we screwed up. Um, It was actually like in the manufacturing process, there's like two mirror images of the drug and one of them was bad and one of them was okay. Um, Basically, one of the issues is that Um, your body recognizes mirror images of molecules as being different. Whereas there's no way to, there's, it's like almost impossible to distinguish it if you're just doing tests in a lab and they behave differently as chemicals in a lab when you're just like mixing stuff together. That's Um, the chirality you're speaking of, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Like left-handed, right-handed sort of. And, um, yeah, when they were manufacturing the drug, they just like manufactured it such that they had the like RNS enantiomers, which is like the two different sides. Um, and yeah, one of them caused severe birth deformities. And they were giving this to pregnant women for like more than 10 years. So there's a lot of people affected by it. Um, so nowadays, thalidomide is actually still used. It's used in multiple myeloma. Um, I think there's a few other indications for it, but that's the main one I know about. And um, in order to get it, you have to like sign up with this um, program. The pharmacist that's dispensing it has to sign up. The doctor has to sign up. And if you're female, you have to go for like pregnancy tests, like constantly. You have to be on two forms of birth control. And it's just like completely wild. Yikes. (laughs) There's tons of like bureaucratic work now if you want to have this drug, which is helpful in a couple of conditions. But like if you're like a man, you like can't even like, you have to like not have, you're like, and you're like with a woman, she has to be on birth control while you're using it. Like it's very. And all this that we're talking about, is it restricted just to animal genes or do these genes expressed in plants sort of follow the same mechanisms? Yeah. This is like, what I'm talking about is like what I talked about with eukaryotes. So it's basically everything, but bacteria, which is a little bit different. It's kind of the same process but like they don't have a nucleus so it's all like happening closer together but it's the same thing where you've got dna and then it has to be translated or transcribed into mrna and and then the mrna has to be translated into proteins that process is exactly the same in every living thing um unless you consider viruses living not so much okay good (laughs) we don't have to have that talk no they don't have wants needs or poop so they're not real to me (laughs) do bacteria have wants or needs yeah they want more food and they want to poop and they want to split fair enough that's all anyone really wants i get that on a deep level i really get that (laughs) really speaks to me yeah (laughs) well it sort of differentiates static objects from animate objects i think yeah there's like a uh, like there's a volition to them 
to there's watch. like a old thing I learned about in like my first biology classes of like seven things you have to have to be considered alive. Like bacteria have like four of them or something. I don't remember. But the funny thing is, on the list, living things can be classified without all of those things. So we've made like some exceptions for like the extremophiles and for yeah, like because they're they're pretty they're super interesting. Fungi especially, they can spread across like the entire Amazonian forest, but they yeah, don't have they're... a brain or. They don't they are super cool. Well, because they eat the poop. Yeah, yeah, it's just neat. <laughs> yeah, life What's gets pretty wacky. Myco something, the uh, study yeah. of mushrooms. Myco just means yeah. Jordan like, knows that one. Yeah, there's um, you get just like the weird bacteria too. There's this one that lives in like salty water that's like almost two dimensional, and it's like that because it lives in like super salty water. And so it one of my salts. One of my <laughs> not really. Uh, one of my profs was like super excited about it, but he was like, "But I can't get funding because I give all the funding to like people studying medical stuff and viruses that infect people." And he was really salty about it. <laughs> salty. <laughs> so, um, I understand that we've completely taken this topic in a completely different direction. So maybe we should not make this part two. And hey, we don't have a this. title. It's not fair to like say we're off topic if we don't have a title. Well, I kind of want to venture back to the main path, which was, um, you guys kind of went back there, which I I thought was really um, gracious of you, uh, which was development of um, uh, mammalian forms, Um, (laughs) uh, specifically with regard to um, the uh, sex development. Um, But I think that was actually very useful because you definitely went through, like we don't really, I don't think this is a place to go for the minutia of this and that, but it's definitely a good representation of um, the complexity again, involved in this and how things just sometimes don't work. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, and that, well, I mean, what can what do you guys think that we can take from this, uh, having heard everything we've heard in the last uh, many hours? Um, so, or uh, I'll go if you don't have anything. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> I think the biggest thing that we can take from, or that I hope that the audience takes from this, is the fact that just because things are complex doesn't mean they're not reducible and reachable to everybody. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of everything that Megan studied, but the fact that we can sit here and have a conversation that's coherent is sort of evidence of the fact that it's accessible to anybody who seeks it. And I think the important thing to note is knowing that something is accessibly knowable is important because then it's not putting it into a black box and just trusting somebody else to look after it for you. I think ethics are a conversation in not just genetics, but all of medical science, including pharmaceuticals, ethics is a conversation the entire population should be engaged in because it shouldn't be just the scientists deciding what to do. They're supposed to be representing the nation's interests in their work. And uh, I think making accessible what would formerly be inaccessible is uh, making huge strides in helping us not just understand what we're doing, but also participate in the uh, in, in its evolution or progress. Right. So, and I think a lot building on that um, is that this just because 
we it's a slow process doesn't mean it needs to be a fast process and in fact speeding up the process would uh cause us to not just do things unethically but miss the point of some of these things in themselves uh because sometimes you need to see the long-term effects since that to know the long-term effects you have to wait those long terms so science is a long process and we can't speed it up just because uh you know one individual is suffering more because that's not we need to come to proper conclusions um and pretending that you know the conclusions just because you're suffering is ludicrously uh foolish because um we are looking for the right thing the thing that works the thing that can be tested positively uh not the thing that conforms to our feeling i um, think the the oh if you're you can no finish. no go ahead I, I think the other thing that we were kind of going on is that um we shouldn't be making like sweeping labels and generalizations about how things are working and we should be trying to let people decide for themselves and like we talked about that with like treating these disorders of sex development that like what we're moving towards now is like fixing any immediate problems and then letting the person the individual who who is born with this decide what they want from their life but like involving their parents and talking to them and explaining right. it and like but, making people do that instead of just labeling people throwing them in and saying you're this so do this right but if we're um if we're letting them decide then you know a 12 year old who's taken you know one class with the you know they've been subjected to the gender galaxy uh thinks like oh i'm actually uh you know i'm actually a girl when they're just you know about to go through puberty and everything's about to you know it's just normal puberty and BS. like i don't know <laughs> what the, and like i don't know what exactly the, if they have to like talk to a psychologist before they decide to get surgery or they would just put them on blockers till they're a little older yeah, um, i do a, know do a, a little bit first i do know a little bit about like trans um like teenagers and younger children that come out as trans and say that they're trans um they do have to see um a psychiatrist of which there are very few in this country um and it takes a long time so it takes a long time to get in um they have to get like the gender dysphoria diagnosis from this psych from one of these psychiatrists and you can't and then at that point and until you see them you can't get any sort of like blockers or anything you have to like basically deal with it until you can get that and then um there's like another big process to go through if you wanted to get surgery um but generally they don't do the surgery until after you're 18 um and so it's like quite a lengthy process but if you were to be if you were born intersex i don't know if you can like skip any of those hurdles or how that works like i i can't speak well, the other thing is that during that process of the workflow of making sure that you this is something that you are um if you get a overly critical diagnosis from the psychologist or the doctor, uh, and then you just go to another one and get an answer that you want, um, like if, or the doctors in the workflow, I think um, one guy I was reading was showing how uh, guided or um, leading the questions were in Britain uh, towards this and how, 
you could just, all you have to do is answer the right questions and get it instead of getting an actual analysis. Um, mm. And which doesn't really seem scientific to me. It, it's a workflow to, you know, facilitate this rather than just a normal workflow. Why are we having a specialized workflow for this? I um, think, well, I think one of the reasons is that these surgeries are permanent. Like yeah. you can't go back and it's very, well, yeah, that too. It's very expensive. There's a lot of things that you need to do. You'll be on drugs for a very long time. There's a very like intensive care procedure. And like, we do need to be sure that this is what well, is actually going to benefit the patient the most. And we don't actually know the long-term the <laughs> effects of the, of the treatment itself, because um, if, you go into this and you are um, in a space where this youth, you're not thinking clearly and you go into it and you go to this, this is what I need, this is what I need, this is what I need. And then all of a sudden you go into another place where you're just suffering in a different way. Like, are you sure this is what you're... Well, and it's so hard to quantify that. And there's not that many people that get these surgeries done. Like there's mm -hmm. not a very, first of all, there's not very many people to study and it's a lot harder to quantify. It's not like, does this drug give you more heart attacks? Like that's very easy to study. Well, there's happens? a reason why we have so many studies in that area. But well, it's like permanent. This... But the other thing is, is that it's permanent means that they're going to have to live another 60 years with this or 70 or 80 years. And that means um, that like there might be psychological repercussions on that, but there's also uh, physical and chemical repercussions of that, that we don't know um, down the road, but it's, but we're, 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 we're the, my problem with it itself is that these people that are undergoing it are being hailed as heroes and they're so brave. Look at these people. They're having to deal with all this and it's just, but they're not dealing with any, thing different than anybody else on this planet is dealing with. I don't like to make suffering relative because we are all suffering with the same fatal malady. Um, and that to me is uh, to make someone who's dealing with this, you know, a hero and praise and then they go through it and then they're like disregarded and the crowd goes and finds another hero to, uh, put on the on their shoulders and they cast the transitioned individual to the side uh, to me is a culture that isn't thinking it through very much and i'm on the blacklist for saying that <laughs> but i don't really see or hear much from it to be honest most of what i look up and watch is documentary style or um, mockumentary or something like that like the those guys that get stock footage and just write scripts and record over it I watch oh, yeah. a lot of stuff like that. I mean, the nonfiction I read is mostly political and economic. It just doesn't factor into anything that I study, which I find weird because every area of my study is trying, there's a group trying to impose themselves upon it. There's a group trying to uh, force affirmative action into schools, right? Or into police forces or into uh, CEO roles or, you know, th they're doing all these things around my industries but i haven't seen anything or heard boo about it because it's almost like talking about genders is immediately classifying yourself as a stereotype um, as a you know bigot or discrimination or whatever they want to call it it's just it's an uncomfortable subject and I, i'd hope to make it less uncomfortable so we can discuss it more uh appropriately yeah that's that's a good point because like i'm even I'm scared of saying things that will get me in trouble 
And like, I feel like I have like somewhat of an understanding of how this stuff works biologically, but even I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> thank you. Even like saying stuff like this, like talking about malarian ducks and wolfian ducks and all this stuff, there are people that would be offended by me saying that. But I mean, I can't live my whole life in fear of this, right? And I think the best thing that we could do for people is just have them understand as close to what is actually true as possible. I think you've done a good job at that. And you too, Jordan. Ah. Oh, we're smiling, but our faces probably aren't coming up. Yeah. So um, I think that's I think a good place to wrap up for a bit. Wrap it up. Um, I don't really have any other uh, final comments to say um, other than if you've been watching, you made it this far. Um, congrats. Congrats. But uh, definitely uh, that we did not, this was not again, exhaustive. There's been hours of this, but again, we, we we glossed over it, and this is just a couple people with some uh, with some interest in in some study, trying to get a sense of it, just as uh, you probably are yourself. So, um, let us know in the comments. Uh, but before we uh frivolously go back into our normal lives uh do you guys have any last points of gravitas for us uh -huh, nice um i just want to thank you guys for having me on um oh, i actually started to enjoy it at some point so thank you guys for that um, i'm not sure if that's complimentary <laughs> that was very clever you're welcome <laughs> My only point of note, I guess, would be um, we have an RSS feed now, so you can look us up, our podcast. Uh, the URL is chris, with a K, driver.com slash feed slash RSS feed dot XML. You just Maybe plug that into that in the a description. podcast player and it'll show us all our old episodes and MP3 as well as the new episodes. Uh, I'm posting them there before YouTube usually, just trying to give an advantage to our podcast friends because, you know, screw you, Google. <laughs> oh this video is getting taken down for sure <laughs> yeah so uh, it's okay we can tuning in, put it back up <laughs> yeah and uh we'll see you guys in the new year next week same bat time same bat channel all right bye everybody bye, bye.